And we're live. Hey, no, Doc, you, got, you, can't, you can't mess me up when I'm counting. You know I've only got so many fingers and toes. Are you grass. sure? I don't think you have all the same number of fingers and toes as other people. No, I, I haven't cut any off yet. You can't call me stubby yet. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi. No, no, no. We had that surgically removed. Hey, all you, you crazy Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Without further ado, we're going to let Mr. David A. Simpson introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. Hi, I'm David, and I'm a writer. Hi, David. Welcome to the meeting. Yeah, is is this am I in the right am I in the right church group here? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in the good one. We got the coffee, okay. the bad coffee, and the stale cookies. Okay, the bed. bad coffee and the good stories. That's it. Chair <laughs> drinks bad a, coffee. There's a reason no, I, don't I like coffee. I, I like coffee. I saw a, a coffee flavored rum that somebody sent me a picture of, like it was an insult. I'm like, dude, I want to try that. Yeah, but he won't. He won't tell me where he got the picture. I was kind of disappointed. Now I've got to Google it and do all the hard work. I I actually had to go to those classes once. When I was in the army because over Christmas break we made a Christmas tree out of empty Budweiser cans, and it was it was it was freaking huge. It was a giant thing, and it's floor to ceiling in the room in our barracks. And um, I guess the LT or I don't know who came in first. Or somebody came in and saw it and said, "These boys are going to." What do they call it in the army? Rehab? AA? ASAP. Yeah, they, they had a name for it. Yeah. Send ASAP. them boys there. <laughs> I remember the way, when we were. The glorious one was the ASAP Fort Bliss. That after a point, they gave you a coin, but the coin was also a bottle opener. <laughs> really? I didn't get that. I was at Bliss for years. So we did the, um, when we were pre-deploying for the first time for the early invasion of Iraq, we uh we were on 24 hour standby so we couldn't go to the nco club so we brought the nco club to us and so yeah. i remember the next morning because the the plane waved off because they didn't send us yet and the the captain came in and there were like six of us and there were so many empties he's like you guys had a party and didn't invite me I'm like what are you talking about sir this was just the six of us and he's looking at like two 55 gallon trash can drums overflowing with empty bottles because that was just the two of you and i'm like yeah if we can get a third one i hear they promote us <laughs> Uh, he yeah, didn't think yeah. it was as funny. I got I got a lecture from the platoon sergeant about being nice to the captain. Aw. Remember those days when you could drink all night, don't even take a shower, go run PT, throw up, keep running, and just, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I had those days. I, I sometimes swear I was puking 100 proof and keeping going. <laughs> I, I remember when we had official liquors per day. It was like tequila Tuesday or whatever. <laughs> but... Before yeah. somebody thinks we're a club with a drinking problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, That's we a club with a drinking problem. No. The army were some of the best days I don't remember. Yeah. That's how it goes. All right. So the next Sometimes part of the introduction. I don't want to remember them. This is also probably true, or it could be the brain damage. Who knows? So this is the part, dear listener, where we tell you how we first met them. So I actually found David. Uh, we're part of a clandestine government organization charged with eliminating the zombie threat from America. And if you've never heard or seen a zombie before, you're freaking welcome. What about That's you, right. Doc? Um, I'm laughing as you take credit for things that, well, that are things. Um, Look, all right, I... John Ringo, he swore us the secrecy about his secret government organization, but we worked for the man clearing the zombies. That's all I'm going to say. 
Wait, we might have said too much, David. We might be in trouble. So uh, I met him through Jenny Koch, a good mutual friend of ours, who's an amazing author and writer herself. And um, she likes good people and I like good people. So it was a match made in heaven to meet David. Well, thank you. Jenny's good people. She is. And if you uh, if you haven't heard of her, you missed an episode, you should go back and listen because we interviewed her already. Yes. I mean, touched, touched by an alien. How can you not? How can you resist that title? And I'm just not going to try to say her name because apparently every time I got it wrong and she would give me the look. Yeah, but, you know, you're used to the look. I am, but, you know, she had a little bit better at being scary with it than you are. So you got to practice, Doc. All right, so you get to ask him the religion question, but we won't kick him out because he's a friend of a friend. <laughs> So, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Firefly, duh. <laughs> so, so why is it a duh for you? What is it about Firefly that speaks to you? Oh, man, it's the everyday guy. It's not, you know, it's just those guys are just a bunch of, I don't know, ex-military, half of them, right? And just, yeah, you know, they're just screw-ups, basically. They're just people. They're, um... Out of Star Wars, I mean, I like the Han Solo. You know, I like his story, of course, but it's just like Mal's kind of. Yeah, I can see that. Plus, they have the Reapers, and those are kind of zombie-esque. Yeah. yeah. They eat human flesh. Yeah, so I liked, I liked yeah. the, the story of the brown coats, like the, um, you know, the ill-fated, they lost the war and they had to sort of pick up their lives. I actually wish they would have done more with that universe because I want to know the story of the war. Like, they just sort of start with that's already happened. And it would be pretty awesome to hear those stories. But, you know, Fox is where good shows go to die. That's fine. Pick up a book. I think they have some books on it. Are there actually Firefly books? I did not know this. Yes, there are Firefly books. Now, I don't know if they're prequels or sequels, but I do know there are books. Have you vetted them? Are yeah, they yeah. good? Yeah? I'll check them out then. All right. Doc, you get to ask your next favorite okay. question. Because we love both sides of the spectrum here. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of Time? Man, I like Wheel of Time. Um, Wheel of Time. It's, there was, how many books are in that series? 12, 13? I know it took me six months to listen to them all, probably. And it, it was a lifetime to write them. Yeah. Two, yes. Yep. Have you been so to Jordan Corner in town? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. You should check it out. I've heard that it's a really fun con. Have you um have I you watched the it. TV? Oh. Have you watched the yep. TV show that um that I think it was Amazon did it? Yeah, it was Amazon because that's the only paid subscription channel I have. Uh <laughs> it was it was it was you know you, you can't do those books justice, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But I, I like the series. I know some people were ragging on it, but I liked it. I watched all of them so far, and I'm hoping for the next season. I liked it. Um, there were parts of the series, and I haven't read those books yet. They are on my list, but his writing style, I don't know. It's a little too flowery for what I normally read. Um, but I was watching some of it, and I've got friends who have read the – I like the Tom Clancy vibe of the way his, his voice is. But I had some friends that were uh, 
had read the series. So when I had questions, I asked. And then they're like, no, 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 no. It's not because if you watch the series, it almost feels like they just hate <gasps> men. And then they're like explaining the back history that the book covers. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And so I think it's you got to cut stuff sometimes, but it's got to be able to strategically so you can still tell the intent of the story. And shut up, Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I just went on a Harry Potter binge with the wife, I guess, just this past week. We watched all eight movies, you know, in a row, which I hadn't done before. And man, there was so much in the movies. It's, you know, the books just, they left so much out. And if you hadn't read the books, you would, I think you would have been lost. I can see that. And I, I did that a couple months ago with my uh, spawn and it definitely, there were things where I'm like, no, let me, let me explain this to you <laughs> because he hasn't read the, all the books yet. So. Yeah. Well, I got one up on you. I haven't read the books or watched the movies. Great. Way to brag about being a, a grunt there, huh? I've read lots of books, just not those books. Ah, sure. So what is your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction, David, before we shut JR up? Uh, reading short stories <laughs> when I was a kid, I imagine. Uh, Ray Bradbury was one of my favorites. Watching Twilight Zone. Oh, my goodness. Twilight Zone was the best. I used to love those. Yeah. Yeah, my mom was a huge reader, and she read. She was, she read everything. Um, I read everything on our bookshelves except her romances. So she was into <laughs> sci-fi, and you know, who killed JFK, and just Aliens all kinds it. of just cool stuff. Yeah, that was it. That's oh, Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm kind of disappointed that that dried up when we got better satellite technology. The mysteries are go are going away. It's kind of sad. They're inventing yeah, new ones though. Here. Yeah, but some of the people inventing the new ones are kind of cray-cray, and yeah. I, I like the old kind of cray-cray better. <laughs> well, we're up here in Bigfoot territory, so. I believe in Yeti. I want to believe. Do you remember the uh, Harry then the Hendersons? Oh, yeah. It's a movie about his, a Bigfoot that finds a family, Doc. His statue is all over. I, I live, you know, Helen's the nearest town, and there's two or three Bigfoot statues, and they all look like Harry. Nice. Yeah. The funny thing is, is every couple of years up in, uh, I get a friend of mine up in Missouri and, uh, and he said, he'll send me the news. Somebody will try to wear a Bigfoot costume to scare people, but it's hunting towns. And so they inevitably oh get shot or run over by their cars. And it's like, well, what did you expect when you scared an armed population and made yourself look like a giant man beast? Like, do you think <laughs> they were just going to pee their pants and giggle? No, they're going to shoot you. <laughs> That's like Darwinism at work, right? Well, I, I have figured it out since I live up here in the Appalachians now why nobody's found Bigfoot because he's a great big hairy dude, right? But I think like the dinosaurs who flew, I think he has bird bones and he, he lives up in the trees and he just like Tarzan and he just Oh, I thought you were going to go that a big hairy dude described in 90% of the male population of the Appalachians. <laughs> Wait a minute. I know, right? I'm just jealous that I can't grow a beard. I tried. I looked like the Unabomber. I had to shave it. It was bad. <laughs> There's a reason we don't let his image out. That might yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I also liked like the the Nessie Loch Ness and some of the other like lake monsters and oh, yeah, uh, cryptozoology yeah. that kind of stuff. Like that yeah. always fascinates me. So. So, what is it that you love about speculative fiction as a genre? It takes you places that, you know, you can't, what other kind of fiction is there? I mean, murder mysteries, romances. House on Mango Street, I think, is like a great, is like a literature fiction. 
mean, uh, that stuff's okay, but I don't know. Speculative fiction is just better because you know you can you can have Star Wars, you can have Firefly, you can have all this stuff that isn't real yet, but it's just fun. could be. Yeah, you know, that's why I love it. It's fun, but you get to tackle serious concepts in a fun way sometimes. Yes, you do. And it's so, neat. You read you three look? different writers. What you are? So I was going to say, yeah, that's that's um, the fun. One of these days I want to do an experiment where you get like four or five writers and you get them the same outline and watch them produce totally different books from that same exactly, outline. Exactly, yeah. And that's yeah. that's where the power of imagination and, and speculative fiction gives you a lot of room for, uh, for nuance, I think. Of course, that might be too literary, artsy fartsy, and nobody might ever read it, but it'd be a fun exercise. So, man, I don't know. Look, look at look at this. Like, I write zombie genre and zombies, right? All zombies, like, well, ninety nine percent of the zombies have the same rules. They're dead. Shoot them in the head. You kill them. Some are fast. Some are slow. And look at all the thousands of books and movies and TV shows, and it's all new ideas. Everybody has an idea. So, um. What is it about zombies that speaks to you? And then we'll get back to the program we gave you. Oh, sorry. No, uh, no, no. I, you are fine. This is this is part of the fun. Every interview is a little different. Man, I, I've been asked this before, and I've actually had to think about it. I, I believe it's because you get a clean slate. The world is wiped out. You've got the small bands of survivors. All of the politics, the just all the religion, everything bad about the world is gone. Not everything bad because the zombies are here, of course, but basically you're starting all over. I mean, it could be an EMP. I mean, I chose zombies, but it could be EMP or not it's nuclear holocaust because then the world is destroyed. But it's just it's a clean slate. You're starting all over with a small group of people. Yeah, I, I like some of it, too. Um, the the zombie one is sort of funny, um, although I've seen some funny memes about the zombie apocalypse is already here. And it has a picture yeah. of a bunch of kids walking down the street with their heads all down, staring exactly staring at their smartphones. And it's like Apple already created the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so uh, we got to ask this because this is a perfect segue. So in the zombie apocalypse, they're going to outlaw this one thing for heresy, and they make that the pineapple on pizza. Are you for that law, uh, banning it, or are you against it? Because Doc likes pineapple on pizza, but she's a heretic. I am a pineapple heretic. On pineapple on pizza is awesome. Oh, good goodness, Doc. Did I you corrupt me in advance and prep for this? Chimney. We got to get a better classic guest. Nick, work with me on this. <laughs> Nick does not get a vote until he's on at least two podcasts a month. Oh he doesn't get a vote. <laughs> well, you've just called pizza's him out. like Mexican food, man. You can right, put well, we Mexican could've... food. You can put anything in it. Pizza's the same way, man. You can put mashed potatoes and and peas on pizza, and it's good. Have you actually done that? Yeah, you can buy it like that. I've never heard of such a thing. All right. So the only thing worse than pineapple on pizza is I was at the grocery store and I saw them selling frozen Chuck E. Cheese pizza. And I'm like, yeah, that's the subpar birthday pizza that's not even good fresh. No, no, I'm not paying extra for it. But uh, anyway, so no, how did your love? Here's the, you know what, though? Pineapple on pizza is a real tragedy of the zombie apocalypse because pineapple does not grow everywhere. So you have to ship it in. Which means pineapple on pizza will become much more of a rare commodity during a zombie apocalypse. You know what else is rare? Coffee. That's the tragedy. Maybe it'd make you want to die if you don't have enough coffee. Well, anyway, 
I'm pretty sure lots of people will die if I don't have enough coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, did you solve the, the coffee problem in your zombie apocalypse, or did they just raid? We did. And... Okay. In, in my zombie that... apocalypse, the whole world gets wiped out almost overnight. It's just a fast-moving virus kind of thing. And so from 8 billion people down to a few million, and it's about mostly about truckers and, you know, we know where the warehouses are. We're not okay. going to raid a Walmart. We're raiding the Walmart warehouse. So, yeah. That, okay. We don't. We, we're like not short that. on anything. No, yeah, you got time to. to yeah. So, how did your love of speculative fiction? Because you talked about reading it growing up in your mom's library, and I think we all, all readers, probably started that way at their, at the feet of reading parents. But how did that transition into you writing stories yourself in this space? Um. I've always, shoot, man. I always wrote when I was little growing up. I wanted to go be a writer you know, after high school, but life got in the way. And, you know, 40 years later, I come back to my first, you know, not my first love, but I, I come back to try to write again and just wrote a book. And that was that. Just Zombie Road is the first thing I'd written longer than a paragraph in probably 40 years. So I just picked okay. up where I left off. With a little better grammar and a lot bigger words. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. Thank you. You're too kind. So many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So are there any specific formidable moments you think that shape the way you tell stories? Oh, man. I, no, I don't know. I've, I've had a wild life. I mean, I've lived a lot of life. So just all experiences, I guess, I've gathered over the years. I mean, I've so been homeless twice. Friends. You know, I've been a millionaire once. I've lived in Europe. I've driven race cars. I've, I've done a lot of stuff, and I guess all those parts of your life just kind of, you take bits and pieces of them and write them into your books. Okay. I, I was almost really rich once, but then the government wanted their gold back. I don't know what that's about. So, all that? right, so. Well, it was actually when I was in Iraq, we, uh, there's, a, there's a base there that was Saddam used as his version of the CIA and it was a prison. And so when they, it caved in, the army was using two of the wings. There were three because it, it uh, met their criteria as double locked doors. Cause you could lock the boxes the stuff was in plus lock the cells. And so it was a secure facility for like an armory and, and comms and stuff. And so we were exploring because I knew somebody who knew somebody, the other part. And if you work construction, you realize you don't have to move all the things. You have to move the right things and physics will do the rest. And so we, we explored the part that they had just left abandoned because it had caved in. We cleared the cave in and we went and in each of those cells were blocks of like brick, golden bricks and AK plated gold, AK-47s and RPGs and I was looking at my uh, the guys in my gun truck, and I'm like, you know, I could fit it in the truck, and I, I know how to get these home. I've got friends in supply. And as we're discussing this theoretically, of course, the uh, they came to let us know it was time to leave the prison so they could lock everything up, and they found that, and they're like, thank you for finding all of this for us. And I'm like, yes, we were absolutely going to turn it in. Yeah. They <laughs> made I a movie it. about that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that movie. <laughs> I, I got to touch it for just a second. Wow. So it has my fingerprints on it. It's as close as I'll ever get. <laughs> Speaking of the military, so you mentioned that you were in the U.S. Army. So we ask all of our authors who also are veterans this question. But how do you feel like your time as a Cav Scout affects the stories you tell? Oh, 
dude, I was I was a tanker. That's before dismount and all that. No, I M60s, M1s. No, no, no. That's what all the, all the uh, 19 series in my units and the my brigade. There were Cav Scouts, right? Deltas. Yeah. yeah. No, I was I was an Echo. Actually, an Airborne. I was one of the few Airborne tankers they had. I was trained wow. on. Um, uh, all God, tankers should go airborne at once. It's just the landing that's a bit. I mean, it's a pain. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> so, so how do you think uh, your time in the army affects the way you tell stories? My stories are. There's a lot of military in it. A lot of military veterans. Just the, the truck drivers are. It seems like most truck drivers I know are veterans. You know, you get out. You know, after doing, you know, army stuff, you know how it is. You get out and you can't sit behind a desk. You can't work at a warehouse. You just. And you can't tolerate people very well at that point. Well, yes, exactly. And a lot of them turn to trucking. Yep. You're isolated. I see three people in a day at my day job and I call it a busy day. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. And a lot of vets go trucking. So, um, you know, I did. I went trucking. I went just there was there was nothing else i could do i didn't want to do anything else i uh i was in an irr composite unit so when they called up the people for the early war because they you know you couldn't draft people you'd actually have to declare war for that so they started calling up people from the individual ready reserve some mm-hmm. of those people had gotten out under clinton's um post-war dividend i think they called it after the first gulf war so they'd been collecting a check to stay on a list and they were right. kind of shocked when they asked them to come back from that list uh, and I was surprised at how many of the people that were called up with me were truckers on their outside job. Now, I don't know if that's selection bias because I was protecting convoys full of truck drivers, like 88 Mike types. But even the ones that weren't like truck drivers in the army were truck drivers on their civilian job. So, uh, like I said, it could be because the mission we were doing over there, they just assigned those people because their experience was relevant. But that uh, um, implies a lot of oversight and logistics that the army generally didn't have. So I don't know if I can, I can credit that. So I don't know, but yeah, it's, it does, it does make sense that that loner sort of ability to operate outside of conventional society. Yeah. So, so when you write these books, do you ever draw on people you knew when you were in the military? Yeah. Most of the characters are real. Um, when I, when I wrote this, I really didn't think it would sell. I mean, I really didn't. I was going to write a book. I, it was in my head. I had to get it out. My mother was going to buy five copies, and that was it. I just wanted to hold this book in my hands. I never knew it would take off. Um, so all the characters are real, which I probably shouldn't have done. I use real names of real people and just like, oh, crap, this is getting big. Uh, no, I don't know any of these people. They're, they're all fake. I made them all up. It's coincidence. So, honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Has so, anybody ever gone, can you, you killed me and been really upset with you because you killed them? But no, in the fan club, we always have, when I was, by the time I hit like third or fourth book, it was like we were having contests, you know, you enter the contest and you'll get to be killed kind of thing. Everybody wants to die. See, JR got me to write a short story because he's like, you can kill anybody you want in it. It's great. So yeah. who'd you kill? Lots of people. Names were changed to protect the not so innocent. <laughs> And so she didn't get sued, you know, because lawsuits suck. <laughs> so did uh, did your mom still buy five copies for you? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so does your time in this. So we've talked about how your time in the army 
affects the way you tell stories. So let's flip the script on this just a little bit. Do you feel like having served in the army affects the way you engage in content as a reader? So like as a fan of the genres, the speculative fiction? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you really know when somebody knows their weapons or their military tactics if they've never served. You know, yeah. you can you can only Google so much stuff, and it's just it's it doesn't ring honest if um they've never served. You know, some of the if they try to talk about mil military stuff, but I don't know, dude. I look through it. I don't look through it through a critical eye. I just try to enjoy it unless it's blatant. I meant some people who like they they were in the military and they avoid military sci-fi. Oh yeah, like everybody has their different way of dealing with whatever it is that they're dealing with. So, but, yeah, I, yeah, I know. Like, I'm a history nerd, and I got my bachelor's and my master's in history, so I can't watch them tell stories about the dead people I studied and the movies because I'm like, oh no, that's not right. And his teeth are too clean, and she's too fat because they would have been skinnier back then. You know, like I'll tear it apart and it just takes away the enjoyment. So I don't watch those with the army stuff. Like that doesn't bother me as much. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief as long as it's in universe consistent. Um, because so much is like so much of technological development for weapons and tactics is a yin and yang. They do this. So we counter it with that. And they we do that. So they, you know, so there's a back and forth. So as long as it makes sense internally consistent, like I'm down for it. Like I'll, I'll go with you there, you know? Yeah. I think the worst one I've read besides the safeties on the Glocks were um, a <laughs> sergeant who everybody kept calling the sergeant, sir. Ooh, dude, come on. I mean, unless it's yeah. a joke because he's actually knighted and somehow is still enlisted. Like, yeah, that doesn't work. No. Nah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, or, or I, I mean, I knew somebody who was rank sergeant last name major and occasionally he got called sir but that was because they were picking on him oh yeah. we had a guy like that in my unit and we had him call places when we needed crap done and uh and he would just say this is sergeant major and he'd say it really quick so they didn't catch that it was sergeant e5 major last name right they thought right. a sergeant major as in an e8 or e9 was calling and we got away with a lot until they they caught on oh man that was it is that part were you part of the e4 mafia for a while, I was a corporal three times. So good at it, it made me repeat the grade. <laughs> I like that. I, you know, it used to be if you didn't get demoted at least once, were you really enlisted? Oh, uh, I know. And, and then they started getting a little bit more no second chances. So I got promoted, oh, and then dude. I celebrated a little too much, and I lost the stripes. And then they promoted me again, and we celebrated maybe probably a little too much. You know, it happens. Yeah. I so made E4 time I three times. Down. Yeah. Me but too. my kid, I had three kids in the military and none of them have been in trouble. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> They've never gotten Article 15. They've never been hauled before the commander, you know. You I'm know like, what's what? wrong with you guys? You aren't my sons. You know yeah, what? I don't know Not what that's all like. Some people don't mind. My, I grew up, my grandfather used to call it because they give you a medal for good conduct if you make it like three years or something. My grandfather used to call it the green weenie. Yeah, I've heard the army called that the big green. And weenie. um, no, 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 it's the good conduct medal is called the green weenie, not the army entirely. You know what? I was secret. You can still get the good conduct medal even if you caught an article fifteen or two. Yeah, I'm just saying. I got it. I've got a couple. I got of them. one, and I don't know how. Like, did you look at my service record? But I'll take the yeah. promotion points. <sighs> yep. 
Doc, we, we talked about enjoying the military stuff through fan angle. And now you get to ask your most favoritist question of all, the fandom question. Oh, before we admit to too much, before the statute of limitations runs out. Okay. So getting into things from a fan angle, have you had any cool fan art or fan cosplay, one of your characters yet? Yes, I um I have people show up. I go to conventions and I take my I built a I built a zombie road Mustang. It's just big monster off-road Mustang I take to all the shows. And I have I have people come up and with pretty good costumes. And um that's always fun. And I have since I'm I'm a comment of car the books are kind of car centric. I have a lot of car guys bring me car parts to autograph, which is kind of neat. Hubcaps and air cleaners and just that is awesome. Yeah. Do you get the the dangling um uh was it the pine trees like from the air fresheners? Dude, that's an awesome promotion idea. I have not. Can I get zombie dangling air fresheners? That would be awesome. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking for people that are cheap that wanted him to sign something, but I'll take the credit for the idea I didn't have because I'm a good NCO. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously you've had people ask for your autograph, but what was it like that first time? Uh, I just signed a book. I was at a convention and they asked me to sign the book. I just signed the book. I didn't really think much of it. I think all the authors were signing books. So I did too. It's kind of cool, I guess. I mean, you know, I'm like, it was very cool. Just <laughs> I was signing books. So what have you, you've spotted somebody you don't know reading one of your books in the wild, right? No, I haven't. Oh, you I haven't? haven't? No. So this is what we need. Dear listener, if you are a fan of Zombie Roads and David A. Simpson, the, the wondrous author from Atlanta, and you see people out in public reading his books, he dearly wants you to take a picture of it and email it to him. We'll put his... Uh, links to his social media because he doesn't have a newsletter. So we'll put all his Facebook group and you can post the picture so he can see that uh, through a digital screen, but it's, it might be all he gets. So, so do your part and engage with the content. So, but what is your weirdest or funniest interaction with a fan since you've started writing? And you can't say Cisco. <laughs> um, you know, we did a, um, uh, a movie trailer that we wanted to have a, a TV series made for the from the book, so we did a movie trailer. And about 112 people, fans, showed up at my place where we were filming at. And it was just a weekend party, man. It was great. I'm still friends with a lot of them. They just – people came in from Texas and Michigan and all over just to be in this little trailer we shot. That's and, awesome. Uh, I mean, it worked. I mean, Hollywood picked it up. They bought it. But um, Congratulations. it was some, it was some really it was a lot of good fun, and I I Did went you? up to my local gun shop and I told him what I was doing. I was actually I was buying holsters there for the plastic guns of all. Oh, he froze. Man, come on! He took me back hey, to where he had all of his guns that he uses for Walking Dead. He just, yeah. You, you broke you, up. Um, right, glitched out. You broke up. Yeah, you broke up right when you were about to sell. So you're at the local gun shop and go. So I'm at the local gun shop. That's where I buy all my guns at. And um, he takes me out back to where he does all the guns for Walking Dead too. And he, they weren't using them anymore because they were finished with that part of the the filming. And I load up my pickup truck with all these. I mean, they're real guns, but they're modified to shoot blanks. 
and he goes, just load them up, take whatever you want. And he just, I, have, I probably took $10,000 with like, yeah. Okay. Did he let you keep them or did I didn't sign anything? Back? It was just a handshake deal. Now it's here, you know, south of Atlanta. No, I gave them back to him, of course. So, so did you but, watch um, the, that was uh, really cool. one of the veteran, there's one of the veteran sh- uh, channels that does like veteran comedy, vet TV maybe, that did a, a zombie movie about how veterans would react to the post-apocalypse. That uh, they had some of that too. I'll have to track it down and send that to you because that was pretty good if you like zombies. That'd be, that'd be funny, yeah. So it sounds like uh, on par with what you're doing. So um, so this is the part, David, where we talk about everything you have written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? Um, Zombie Road. There's eight books in that series. There's a spinoff series called The Feral Children about some kids that were have you met my they kids? met you're yeah they, they were in it they were the feral ones um <laughs> i knew it i knew it and there's uh wesley norris wrote a book in my world um about we have i'm breaking up again you need specific ink for a printer or the family Bible or whatever. Anyway, retrievers go get that stuff. And, um, and they're hopped up muscle cars. And Wesley Norris wrote a book about retrievers. Um, there's another fella, Lance McCullough's writing a book in the, in my world. There's a couple different writers are writing books in my world, which is, you know, just expands the story. Hi. I think we lost JR. I think so too. Yeah. It's okay. So, um, obviously, those so are all. On. What? You the, can't go it, back. It froze on me. But so before we dive into the book itself, because we don't want to, we don't want to interrupt him once he starts going on the book. We're gonna pause for a moment where we shamelessly shield for the man. Humanity will be free, no matter the cost. Deep in the Guatemalan jungle. Buried beneath a forgotten Mayan pyramid, an earth-shattering secret sits, waiting. Its discovery will rip apart the illusion that humanity is alone in the universe. Engaged in a life-and-death struggle for the future of mankind, Harry Rogers and Jess Cook are forced to protect this secret from the most despicable foes imaginable. They must race across the globe to complete Liberty Station the first true interplanetary ship. Only then can they search for the shocking truth behind what they found. They have no room for error, because failure means death for them and subjugation for everyone else. Presenting Liberty Station, Book One of Humanity Unlimited, written by Terry Nixon. Purchase your copy on Amazon and learn more about the author and his works at terrymixon.com. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. And thank you, Terry, for sponsoring this one. So we're back with David A. Simpson, the one, the only, the zombie uh, overlord. So while all of those books you listed sound fascinating, um, lots of zombies involved, The today we're going to talk about the book that started it all, Zombie Road, Convoy Carnage. I like the name, by the way. Um, so where did you get the premise for the universe? How did you come up with this? 
I listened to, I'm a truck, I was a truck driver for years. I listened to a lot of audio books and most of them are post-apocalyptic. I mean, three or four a week, maybe, you know, it depends on how long they are, two a week, whatever. Anyway, a lot of zombie stuff and a lot of them were stupid. So <laughs> I just, I come home to the wife. I say, ah, oh, this, listen to this, man. This guy did this. This guy did this. They're so dumb. How could anybody survive? They're so, they're too dumb to survive. If I was, you know, in a zombie, apocalypse, I would do this. I'd do this, you know, and. She finally told me to just shut up and write a book if I was so good. And um having flashbacks. That's I'll show you. <laughs> Isn't that how a lot of us get started? Our significant yes. other goes, Well, go ahead and write it then. Shut up and quit talking about it. No, I, that's actually exactly how John Ringo started writing the Black Tide U Rising Universe. Yeah. Um his he watched a movie with zombies and he goes, that's so stupid. And they say, this guy's an army officer. And da, da, da. and he goes, even if he is an army medical officer, he still wouldn't be that stupid. And so his editor, John's an E4, is a, was an E4 in the army infantry. And so is a, was his editor. And his editor goes, fine, write me something better. So, I mean, that's what I'm going, this you sounds did. familiar. You get the put up or shut up speech eventually if you yeah. complain too much. Well, particularly so, among veterans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, so before we dig in too deeply into the story itself, so that's a that's a good place to start for a book. We're going to show the cover. Uh, can you tell us the story of uh, Doc's Making Faces again? Can you tell us the story behind this piece of art? How did you, uh, how did you get, reach this as your book cover? That was my second Zombie Road book cover. The first one I designed myself. And it was the awesomest thing ever, and I paid for the artist to do it, and it was the greatest. I mean, I designed it. It was – I loved it. It won worst book of the month – worst cover, book cover of the month, some award on, uh, <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. And um, my – I had a friend that goes, look, I know an artist. He's really good. Just let him do it, and don't tell him what to do. Don't micromanage him. It's so like I a post-apocalyptic Optimus Prime. Yes. Yeah. It does look like him. And I, I but, mean, uh, I say this with the most love ever. I told him what the book, just a general premise of the book. And I said, I'd like to have a semi truck on the cover because it's mostly about truckers. And um, if you can, if not, that's okay, sir. And he goes, all right, $500 and I'll have it to you in a couple of weeks. And that was the only input I had on it. And that's what he gave me. And it was awesome. I love it. <laughs> you definitely get the, the point across with this cover. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, because, you know, we... Um, we didn't finalize because you were so sort of, eh, I don't care. We can talk about anything. I, I can, you know, BS off the cuff. I don't, I don't need show notes. Uh, so we didn't pick until the last minute what we were actually, which of your products we were going to cover, or if we were going to do just a panel discussion. And so I didn't have time to get the better cover. But if you look up, if you if you Google this, dear listener, or look at the screen, the uh, the actual fender has the blood on it and uh, dead bodies piled up in front of it, which is just glorious. So... Did you get some of your road rage out while you were designing this uh, this universe around these cars? <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is in back in the day, truck drivers and we, we sit in the damn truck all day long and all night long. And you go to the truck stop, take a break. And the, remember, there's truck driving video games. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in the truck stops, they had the full on ones where you would sit down and had the stacks behind you. You were sitting in the cab of the truck. And every truck driver that went in there would just pay his dollar and just crash into cars. <laughs> we didn't want to win. We didn't want to get to the destination. We just wanted to knock four-wheelers off the road. So, yeah. There are different definitions of winning. You obviously picked yours. 
Wow. I like it and I get it. So good. So much. So I actually, um, one of my MOSs in the army was 88 Mike. Uh, I did so well at it. They sent me back to the infantry. Uh, but we had to do one of my driving tests, driving over the old Mark Clark Bridge in downtown Charleston. So I, I definitely understand road rage. That you bridge was one going from Charleston to Mount Pleasant. Yes. I hate that bridge, especially it sways the old too. One. It does. Yeah, it was the old one. The, the lanes are really narrow. The bridge is swaying. Nobody gives you any room when you're a truck driver. Well, they don't care. No extra given by the driving. Do you mean the old one that was two lanes total? Yes. One going one way, one going the other way? Yes, that one. And people will still try to pass you going into oncoming traffic. The best thing yeah. Charleston ever did was they got rid of that. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I might now. give myself flashbacks. Yeah. I mean, that was almost worse than the war. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I definitely feel your pain. That's when I realized I wasn't cut out to be a truck driver. I'm glad they sent me to the infantry. But, all right, so we've talked about uh, the cover. The infantry, glad they sent you. I mean, I got to blow stuff up, and we tormented a few LTs, so that's got to count for something. That's still kind of what the LTs are there for. It builds character. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. sort of dropped – well, anyway, that's another story. Uh, so moving on to the book itself. So what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this most awesome series be? Zombies meet Mad Max. It's, I was um, just saying that cover gave me it's, definite it's Mad a group Max of vibes. So, They're, it's very car centric. I'm a car guy. Um, it's very car centric. Not very, but they get around in 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 intelligent cars. You know, not, they don't drive around old beaters. They build fifty-five Chevys and you know just really cool cars to get around in and. Um, Basically, it's a group of people that rebuild. It's somebody called it. A, one of the reviewers said it was a happy, shiny zombie apocalypse because it's not about. It's not grim, dark. It's um, this is a horrible elevator pitch. It's uh, it's it's about rebuilding. It's about this group that comes together and they build a walled city and they start rebuilding. And it's the trials and tribulations of trying to rebuild society. And uh, you well, know, with zombies and bad guys and just. So what region of the country do you settle them at to rebuild? Because obviously they can't just live on the road. Well, I guess they could. Well, eventually gas is going to run out. Yeah, and it doesn't have a forever um, shelf life. So Yeah. No, a couple of years. Uh, I did a lot of research on this to probably get the, the facts right. Diesel's good for about 10 years maybe. But anyway, they go to central Oklahoma because it's a safe zone. Because if a zombie apocalypse happens, there's over 200 nuclear power plants in the states. And they will, some of them will shut down. Some of them have safety measures, but if there's no electricity and no people to man it and no people to hit the override buttons, they were worried about nuclear fallout. So central Oklahoma was a area where there was no nukes anywhere nearby. So that's where they went. Good growing okay. seasons, lots of fresh fish. And... Okay. That's a smart, I wouldn't have considered the power plants going down, but yeah, kind of scary to think about actually. That's why you're not going to survive the zombie apocalypse share. Oh, well, I, I live in the Hampton Roads area. When the the nukes hit, like I'm out in the first five seconds, I won't even see it coming. They'll hit the Norfolk Naval Base and the whole Hampton Roads is gone. Goodbye. It's comforting to know you don't have to suffer. But that means we don't get to stack dead bodies. So I don't know. Maybe I'm losing. Maybe I should move just so I can shoot the zombies. No, JR. It's okay. 
now <laughs> she's like no just die already <laughs> <laughs> so david what is it really that makes your series special and unique other than you know you definitely did hit on one of my favorite things that i think sometimes people don't always go for is um that you don't focus on the pile of skulls in the corner you focus on the positive and aspects of it so but what else is uh really unique in your series as zombies go man i don't want to give too much away because i mean it almost seems like i say as a spoiler that's a very the first answer. the um you know game of thrones wasn't really about the people the tv show and the book started out with it was about their children yeah. that's who the story was really about this is very similar the first couple of books are about the grown-ups doing things you know rebuilding society trying their best to do things starts about book four is more about the kid and his what they're doing to you know the zombie process problem is a little bit lessened but the the wild cannibal biker gangs are still running around and it's um it shifts focus from the grown-ups to the kid okay that's definitely a unique take on it well that's neat too because a lot of them aren't multi-generational stories the worry is if you get people attached to certain characters and then you take them away halfway through, you lose that audience because you've got to make them now care about a new set of characters. So you, I know why people don't do it, but I mean, there's definitely the story doesn't end right after the fall. Like you've got to rebuild and sometimes that kind of stuff takes generations. So it makes sense that it would be a saga format. All right, doc, I'll stop interrupting you. I promise. I was going to ask, so what tropes did you really have fun with in uh, Convoy Carnage? Fast zombies, superhuman, just, I mean, they're, they're, they're super soldiers, basically. They're super, super, they're fast. They're, that's why the population got wiped out so quickly. I mean, I love the fast zombies, you know, they're just because they're scary. I like the slow ones because you just like that impending doom sort of shoveling towards you. And they don't have to, get, like, because they just eventually overwhelm you with the weight of their numbers. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know, the onslaught of humanity or lack of humanity, I guess. But fast can be cool, too. They've done that in some really good series. Well, no. I decided, <laughs> I went for the best of both worlds, man. They start out fast, but, of course, they break down and deteriorate, so... You know, in six months, you got slow zombies, big shambling hordes that are, you know, the coyote or, or, the, or the, 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 what do you call it? The scavenger animals are feasting on these giant moving hordes, just free food. And there's so then, of course, the scavengers start taking on zombie aspects because they're eating zombie flesh. I was about to ask you that. So that uh, creatures other than the humans get impacted by the zombies. So like zombie cows or zombie wolves or whatever. Vultures, uh, anything, any any scavenger animals that eat the zombies start craving what the zombies crave. They don't Does become zombies, but they the creatures just want that eat, So the, the creatures that eat the scavengers also become zombie-esque? Because, I mean, it filters out in a food chain. Okay, now I'm going to read and find out because he's nodding, but he's not answering. So he's being cryptic. I like it. Go on, sir. I'm giving away too much. I mean, so, these are all like. On subgenres, we're going to interrupt, and JR loves for me to ask about subgenres. What subgenres do you really think this fits into? 
like post-apocalyptic yep. zombie um rebuilding is that even a subgenre it should be if it's not um cars definitely uh oh i think david's having an issue you guys back All right, he's he's back hey. outstanding Man, if if my internet's dropping, I, mean, I apologize. I have um, AOL dial-up up here in the mountains. It's the fastest we can get. Understood. So, so what subgenres besides the the obvious do you feel like this story maybe fits into? Um, Sci-fi. Okay. There's another huge one, but I, I can't say because it just gives everything away. And don't give anything no, away because no, I'm no. sure we have readers who are already hooked and we uh, hate, hate for I, them I, not I, to catch their fish. All right. I'll give you a hint though. When you read the prologue, so, so David, you're, you're freezing up again. One thing that will help us lower your bandwidth, turn off your camera and just we'll put the cover up and then okay. um, that should allow you to, um there we go if you turn your camera off it'll lower your bandwidth and it should should fix that problem so we can keep this interview going so while while you're doc you're gonna have to re-ask that question and while while you're thinking about that now i wonder when these zombie apocalypse happen what happens to the people on the international space station are they just sol what do you know. think doc it, it's gonna um i think where there is a will there's a way and we would probably figure out a way to get them down but um, it would be a very hairy uh, ride down. Actually, John Ringo covers some of that. A great way of doing that in his um, Black Tide Rising books. Okay, so did, uh, despite so, the fact uh, that in it. So uh, we were just speculating, David, about what happens to the people on the International Space Station when a uh, zombie apocalypse comes. Oh my God! She mentioned was it. I read a series that that covered that. Was that was that Black Tide Rising? Black Tide Rising does yes. it in uh, book three, I think, maybe four. Yeah, it it, it was good. Um, definitely, it was it was definitely a hairy circumstance, though. Do you cover it in yours? Um, you don't have to no. tell us how you cover it. No, I don't. No, I don't. Okay, so I, you know, you... go ahead. I didn't even think about it. So do you cover the, like you've, you're obviously describing a very American centric uh, take on where it happens. Uh, do you plan on expanding that story to other parts of the globe that are experiencing obviously the same thing? Uh, the book, it, it is American centric, you know, it's those characters, but I have um, some guys in Egypt that ride it out inside the great pyramid. Um, it's, it's, I cover, Lots, lots of the world just, you know, in, in just short chapter vignettes about different things that's going on that just advances the whole big story. Okay. I, I, basically, I cover the whole world, what happens to them, most of it, but just not in a lot of detail, just, you know, just quickly just to advance the story. Okay. Doc, you get to ask him. Uh, 26 is where we're at. Wonderful. Okay. So, 
can you tell us about the main character? Because we've definitely talked a lot about the world itself. Uh, Gunny is the main character, and he's the, the truck driving, you know, disgraced war vet who kind of his quick thinking when it all kicks off basically saves this one little group of people and they're the group of people that start rebuilding um him and some other vets just you know they uh they react faster than non-combat folks because just you know just they have experience and um he's just a an army guy and now he's a truck driver and is raising a rebellious teenage son and just trying to make ends meet, you know, put food on the table and get home for birthdays. So uh, were his kids some of the feral ones? <laughs> <laughs> no, his son met the feral children. The feral children were uh, a group of kids that were in a wild animal safari park. And you know, when the apocalypse happens, you know, it's gated, you know, the zombies can't get in and the animals aren't wild. They were bottle fed as babies. You know, the bear wants to, you know, scratches chin and the panther loves you know kitty treats and um the kids can't survive on their own and neither can the animals so they they just form this symbiotic relationship and learn how to hunt and kill and survive together that so lord of the flies very adorable all right so were there any doc don't don't reveal too much about your own personal history we know about feralness <laughs> in the in the small family. Uh, so were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable to you? Um, yes. Uh, shoot, man. Um, I, I, I wrote them all. I love all the characters. I didn't want to kill anybody. Even the ones that I just knew were going to die in the beginning. I didn't want to kill those guys because, you know, I love all the characters. Um, a lot of them, like I said, are real people. So, you know, I didn't <laughs> want to, you know, I didn't want to kill him. <laughs> yeah. So um, a little bit about the story. Obviously, we want to keep this spoiler free because, you know, part of the fun is hyping up a, a book that we can then go and read together and, uh, and you know, come back and comment on it if, it, if the episode inspires you, dear listener. Um, but does your story have any bad guys aside from the obvious zombies that the characters have to confront without giving away any spoilers? Yes, there are three distinct sets of bad guys, and all of them are different kinds of bad guys. Um, there's a religious cult that forms up because it's a religious cult, end times kind of thing. Um, there's another religious order that's just really bad guys. And then there's the, uh, I don't want to call them bikers because, you know, I'm a biker. Uh, but there's just some really bad people that get together and they there are no laws so they can do whatever they want so they do do whatever they want they become like i don't know the the mad max cannibal type people and they're all wanting lakota which is the town where the the truckers and the vets and uh, you know the, the people came together and started rebuilding society they've got electricity and running water and, and sewage service and trash pickup on wednesdays and everybody wants that and they try to take it from them Okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, just because I tend to listen instead of read, do you actually have these out in audio yet? Yes, sir. I have the greatest audiobook narrator ever, Eric Luke Shulman. Daniels? Oh, <laughs> I was going I, Veronica. No, Eric Shulman. By the third, by the fourth book, this guy is so good with his voices. I was giving him. I would create voices just to tell him because I'd send him the you know, the, the copy sheet. This is what he sounds like. 
and just see if he could do it. This is a, a Middle Eastern teenage girl who speaks three languages, but she's American, but she speaks with a Persian accent and he nails it. <laughs> you know, now that sounds like a lot of fun to listen to. And his Russians are hilarious, you know. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So that's even better. All right, Doc, you're up. Um, I'm, I'm 29. I'm sorry. It's 29. Your question. Sorry. I have a long day. <laughs> yeah. We've been all over the map because I keep asking questions that aren't on the list because I'm intrigued about, uh, about his books. So if your characters met you in a back alley, how would they treat you after they knew you were responsible for the hell you, they went through? Uh, Gunny would buy me a beer. I think Jesse He's the he's Gunny's son. He's the main character's son, and he's just he's kind of. I think he would hate me because he goes through. Yeah. He's a teenager coming up through the zombie apocalypse, and he loses his friends and he just down. makes mistakes. And you know, I yeah yeah. I I do you do you show the characters going through like internet and, and withdrawing some of the other whatever tech that they got used to that isn't there. Yes, and it plays a, a pretty central role in shaping my on my younger character's future. Nice. About the stupid stuff teenagers do. Because teenagers do stupid stuff, you know? I've raised a few and I've been one, so I know they do stupid stuff. Yeah, can you imagine Apparently having... Apparently, learned. Yeah, but can you imagine yep. all the stupid stuff we did as kids and then add in zombies? And some of us might not have made it to adulthood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Doc. I'm sorry to interrupt you again. Okay, and you wonder why I'm losing track. So, um, what is your favorite character archetype? I, I like the hero's journey. The guy who is just an everyday man and, you know, through circumstances has to become more than ordinary. Okay. That's, that's a... I enjoy the everyman as well. So I, good company. So, all right. So this is the part where we take a sneak peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from this final book um, that would make a cool story? No, not really. Um, when I first sat down to write, I thought it would be a book, one book, maybe a thick book, but it'd still be a book. And when I actually started writing and in describing and the detail I had to go into is just eight books later and was finally finished and I didn't leave anything out. It took me two years to write this book in my head with notes and everything. And when I sat down to write it, it just took eight books to tell the story. So how many words are in each book roughly? Uh, about a hundred to 120,000, 130,000, maybe in some of them, they're about 350 pages each one. I was about to do the math real quick because Doc counts and thinks in pages and I think in terms of word count. Um, so, yeah, those are substantial books, too. So it's not like – so you almost got a million words in the first series. Really? Dang, that's a lot of words. Eight books, about 100,000. <laughs> you're looking at 800,000. Plus you've got the spinoff books. The yeah. Feral, yeah. There's okay. a school of thought that once you hit a, like a million words, you know, you're really in your groove. Man, I – I quit writing about a year ago, not intentionally. It's just we moved up to North Georgia mountains and I'm building a house and it just 
I don't, I don't have time to write. I just, I can't wait to get back to it. I miss you it. You didn't quit writing. You just went on hiatus. Yes, ma'am. That's sabbatical. it. There we a go. Sabbatical. I like that. That's a fancy man's really? word. That's so what they get... call it when college professors go and hide away from their students. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to steal their words then. We'll do the fancy pants words. So when you come back to writing, so you've told the story of the, the main eight book arc. You've got uh, the sub stuff, the sub series that are connected peripherally. Do you plan on continuing to tell zombie stories in this universe or are you going to move on to something else? No, the, the last book I set it up where I could go in two different directions and I plan on entertaining both of those. But I have a, a regular I'm an indie. All these books are indie, and but I have a an agent, and she is bugging me about a non-zombie normal book. And I'm co-writing a book with Jenny Koch. That's I guess it's that's kind of how we met through the Horror Writers Association here in Atlanta. And I, I just I've got a lot of stuff on my plate, but I do want to continue with Zombie Road. Okay. So uh, finally, you've told us a little bit about the universe. Was there anything else to uh, that you could tell us about the world where Zombie Road happens that you haven't already sort of covered um, to sort of create the the scene for this? The hard part is not giving spoilers, obviously, because sometimes the way the zombies are created are the spoiler. Yes, that that comes out in the first book, but um, it's about rebuilding, and there's there's walled cities, and 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 there's some places have really super high tech they saved like you know they're nothing they it, they close their gates and you wouldn't even know the zombies are out there because they still have internet they still have facebook they still have wi-fi but in some areas are pioneer days you know walled cities that live in like it's the 1800s you know with, you know cattle town um and it's all these walled cities and there's couriers going between them and there's dude there's these dudes in these jet-powered Lamborghinis because, you know, why not get a Lamborghini because they're free? Just walk in, grab the keys, and drive off. Um, <laughs> you know, they have overnight express delivery between cities. Overnight, it's free, you know, and it's just – they're starting to rebuild. You know, there's the Pony Express, and there's just gathering supplies, and it's it's an interesting story, I think. It's um, it's never been – I've never been accused of it be, getting boring. A lot happens in those eight books. I mean, it covers 160 years, and – it covers a lot of territory. That's a so lot there, of years to cover. That's a lot of years. So there are currently eight books out in the series, and you've mentioned that this main series ends and uh, more is coming. Do you do you have sort of an idea of, of you know, is it going to cover different characters? Is it going to be set in a different um, time? Like, how do you plan on pushing this universe forward? Uh, it, it'll have the the characters that are in the last book, those characters. Okay. I know that's a very vague question because answering it might potentially be a spoiler and we don't want that, but all right, Doc, these are your favoritest questions next. We get to get to ask him. So, uh, I know 34. Oh, where we talk about the internal consistency. So is there any neat tech that you developed for this universe? Yes, there is. And I think it will actually work. It's real live technology I invented, my son and I, and we think it will work, but I can't tell you what it is because it's a huge spoiler. So I'm wondering if you'll be able to answer the next one or you'll say, email me at, we can talk about it after we've read it. So, because the next question would be of all the tech in that universe, which one would you steal for daily use? Now he could probably answer that without talking about the tech he created. 
I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hazard a guess that he answered when he said he built the car from his book, that that would probably be what it is since he already did it. <laughs> yeah. The, the car, the, the car is just a, an old Mustang that's jacked up and Mad Max basically. Uh, it's fun though, dude, I get lots of looks when I go out cruising in it. <laughs> nice. So is uh, it real? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in the books. And, um, since, it's in the books. I, I, awesome. I'm, a, I'm a car guy and I built it. So it was tax write off. If you join his Facebook group, which we'll link to in the show notes, you can actually see pictures of this car. So the next question we normally ask is what would you do to abuse that tech? But I think you said you already use it to pick up chicks or at least zombie fans. <laughs> Don't tell his wife. That. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, my bad sense of humor is going to get us all. Uh, that, that's not the tech I would use. Actually, you know what? Um, here, it got option for a TV series, and in my in my contract, in the when they do the TV series, I have it written in there that I keep all of the movie cars that they build for the show when when the TV series is completely finished and all done. You know, and they you, know, you close the books on everything, so. I'm writing into the scripts. I'm asking them to write into the scripts a 55 Chevy and a 69 Dodge Charger and all these really cool <laughs> cars I want. So hopefully they'll build hero cars for the TV show and then I get to keep them when it's all over. Now that's awesome. That's the plan anyway. So do you know like where they are in the process of making that real? Uh, it's Hollywood, man. It's they. It's been optioned. They've written the script. Yeah. I have it. Um, they've written the first series, the first episode, or not the first episode, the first, uh, the first season, but that's as far as we've gotten. We haven't even hired actors yet. So who knows? It might that's not a happen. lot farther than some of the things that get options. So that's, that's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. That's farther than the Pern show got the new Pern uh, that got options. Dragon Riders. Yeah. They, a couple of years ago, Deb, uh, Warner Brothers optioned it again and, um, it's just been in production yeah. nowhere. That happens. I think I haven't given up on mine, but it's been it's been a couple of it's been I don't know, it's been a year. Well the options get ready to run out. To have a zombie apocalypse of its own. So mm. you know, maybe maybe things will be picking up again. Hopefully. So. One can help, uh, one can help. So do you have any aliens in your universe? Yes. Okay. So how did you go about creating them? Can you talk about that? Like, were they nature inspired? Were they purpose built? Oh, they're just, they're from other universes. So they're just people just like us, except they're aliens. Well, they're not people. They're aliens. They're weird looking weirdos. I've met oh, people okay. that aren't people, so I'm down. I get it. <laughs> JR, you're a person who's not a people. This is also true. I'm a little, well, you know, I'm special snowflake. Some people so. are. <laughs> All right. So uh, clearly this interview is winding down, and we don't want to tempt the internet gods too much further. And we appreciate you sticking with us, dear listener. And, you know, sometimes you get great uh entertaining guests and uh they're just not in cool places with cool internet so hopefully elon musk can get him some starlink in the future but in the meantime 
uh, as this interview is winding down, was there anything about Zombie Road Convoy Carnage that we didn't ask you that you wanted to tell us? No, man, you guys are good. <laughs> We've had a few years of practice, I think. Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Maybe eventually we'll perfect it, but, you know, what that might be boring, so who knows? Well, not as long as we keep you around, JR. This is true. I'm, I'm the comic relief. I get it. All right, dear listener, well, this we is the love part of you for it. Absolutely. So this is the part of the interview, dear listeners, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your thing, people. It's important. Share your thoughts. And I really think you're going to dig this one. I know I'm going to check it out myself. Um, so, so do your part and keep this process moving. Um, publishing is a symbiotic relationship between the readers and the authors. And if you don't do your part, sometimes the series you like don't get optioned for a second book. Because, well, nobody read the first one. All right, David. To end this on a positive note, because that was a little more doom and gloom than I intended. Uh, but do leave a review, people. But, David, how can listeners find you? Man, the easiest place is Facebook, David Simpson Fan Club. Search for that and you'll find us. Out freaking standing. All right. Well, you can find us, dear listener. And he's got other links that will be in the show notes. But... Uh, you can find us, dear listener, on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We promise we answer all of the letters. Uh, we've even uh, been doing a slew of booking for future guests. So if you have anyone you'd like us to interview, reach out and say, hey, this guest would be someone I'd love to hear talk about X book. And we'll try to make that happen for you. Uh, we've got our Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen. And sometimes Doc torments me with horrific pizza, pictures of uh, pizza atrocities uh, over on Facebook.com backslash I don't know what you're talking about. Backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. And uh, if you comment on the individual episodes, we will promise to tag the author so they can come and answer. Uh, if you have questions that were inspired by this episode, you can join us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Uh, be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I will promise to keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. Hell yeah, nothing's going to explode, so keep it coming. Wait, I, you know, I'm assuming what? booze goes through your liver, so coffee would too, but, you know, if one cup is My good, 12 is better. My liver is made of stuff than yours. That's why I'm more functional. Yeah, so I'm just thinking, like I said, if one if one cup of coffee is good, 12 is better, right? Because science. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm we're, care about science. Somebody please buy us a cup of coffee. I clearly need more coffee. All right. On that happy note, Doc, bring us home. <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick Garber, the Adelbrain JR, I might just be equally Adelbrain Seska. This was the Blasters and Blazed podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Indulging our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, torturing JR, and of course, all things that go boom or have caffeine. <laughs>